0: Hi everybody, it's Brian Norcross here along with Luke Doris in the WPLG Local 10 podcast studio in Miami. This is podcast number 10 and today we're going to talk about Hurricane Andrew and uh, we're also going to talk about Hurricane Lane here in just a couple minutes that's threatening Hawaii and we have Max Mayfield with us today. Uh, uh, We're going to talk about Hurricane Andrew with Max and I guess Lane a little bit as well. Uh. Uh, Hurricane Andrew is a storm that's very close to Max and me. It's a storm that uh, affected our lives dramatically and also changed the way we all live uh, with hurricanes, from emergency management to building codes uh, to insurance. As a matter of fact, Max wrote the first advisory on tropical depression number three in 1992, which would become Tropical Storm Andrew and then, of course, became uh, Hurricane Andrew. Andrew, uh, Max, uh, are you there with us?
1: Yeah, I am, Brian. Yeah, you and I both have some uh, pretty vivid memories uh, from Andrew, along with a lot of other folks here in South Florida.
0: Max, and, what do you uh, remember about that that first uh, advisory uh, when you well, when you wrote I it remember, that, that that Sunday uh, actually,
1: night? Yeah, I remember that pretty well. I uh, that was uh, I wrote that advisory at 11 p.m. That would have been on Sunday, August the 16th. So that's about eight days before landfall here in South Florida. And it had been a you know, pretty normal-looking uh, tropical wave when it came off, came off the coast of Africa on the 14th of August. And, uh, you know, it didn't look anything uh, too unusual there for a couple of days. But then on the 16th, uh, I was on the evening shift, uh, 4 p.m. until midnight, and it looked so impressive on the satellite that I kind of uh, – Wrote the standard procedure back in those days. We really didn't like to start advisories at nighttime based on the low-resolution infrared satellite imagery, and all I had was, you know, that low-resolution data. But this looked too good. I called Bob Cheats, and I said, you know, we really need to start. Bob was the director at the time. And and so I wrote that uh, first advisory, but, uh, you know, it was about 3,500 miles away from South Florida, and, you know, no concern to anybody at least at that time.
0: And uh, and then one thing led to another, and we'll talk a lot more about that in just a few minutes. We're recording this podcast on August 22nd, 2018. This week, 26 years ago, Hurricane Andrew made landfall in South Dade County, of course. And 26 years ago this morning at 5 a.m., Andrew, for the first time, was designated a hurricane. 75 miles per hour. Of course, it was just uh, 48 hours, exactly two days later, that it would hit South Dade as a Category 5. So it went from Category 1 75 miles an hour to Category 5 165 miles per hour in exactly 48 hours in the official record book. Of course, like I said, this is Wednesday, August 22nd, 2018. If you're listening at some point in the future, you got to tune in to Local 10 and we'll keep you up to date on exactly what's going on or check the Max Tracker app or the Local 10 weather app Uh, for any current information. And this podcast is sponsored by your neighbors at the Miccosukee Tribe. Rain or shine, win big. Visit Miccosukee.com and discover the winner in you. Okay, we have going on right now in the Pacific, uh, kind of an unusual situation, Hurricane Lane. Luke... um, You've been looking at the latest advisory. What's what's the latest scoop?
2: It's Category Four now. It was Category Five for uh, a brief stretch, anyway. And its winds now estimated to be 155 miles per hour. And uh, we have a hurricane warning in effect going from Maui, Lanai, back to the Big Island. So the eastern like two thirds of the island are now under the hurricane warning, hurricane watch for Oahu and Kauai. Um, it's looking like Thursday through Saturday will be the main impacts. They could start seeing. Hurricane conditions on the Big Island by uh, by tomorrow, which would be Thursday. And there's a lot of questions with the track and exactly what's going to happen. It seems like the hurricane could get toward near, even if it gets near the center, gets near the islands. It could. Nobody really knows how this will track, but the latest has been a little bit away as kind of a graze. Mm-hmm. Even if that were to happen. Uh, there's still going to be some pretty significant impacts to the Hawaiian Islands. Uh, number one, probably be rain, it looks like at this point. Of course, there are, winds are very likely, too, tropical storm force, hurricane force, but the rain threat is a very real one with this hurricane.
0: When hurricanes interact with tall mountains, the the mountains actually enhance the rain significantly. You have all that rain at the higher elevations. It comes down, has to come down to to the ocean. But also, the winds are higher aloft. So when hurricanes interact with higher elevations, the actual higher winds than than whatever the hurricane is rated at. Let's say it ends up being uh, a 100 mile an hour hurricane, what's in the uh, as close as it's going to get to, say Maui or Lanai or Molokai or, or one of the middle uh, Hawaiian islands, uh, at the higher elevations. Of those islands the winds will actually be higher than that sure because we're talking about surface winds uh, there at being a hundred miles an hour so anyway that's uh, it's something we're gonna watch here over the next couple days Uh, but they are hopefully preparing well to get away from low-lying areas and also away from the coast because on the the southern facing coast which include in Oahu that's Waikiki Mm -hmm. that's that's the most populated part there of uh, Honolulu and that uh, they're going to be very exposed to winds and storm surge coming in from the south
2: you know our weather producer she makes all of our weather graphics in the weather department name's aliana she has a sister that lives on the island right now and kind of sheds light on how maybe the building codes are Mm -hmm. (laughs) she has those windows that you turn and they're like little
0: slats yeah jalousies to let the
2: air flow through and that's that's her window forget about Mm -hmm. you know any, any hurricane shutters or anything like that. So uh, I have to wonder what the prep light is like there, especially with hurricanes being
0: somewhat rare
2: in well, Hawaii. Well, right?
0: extraordinarily rare, Max. Uh, you remember jealousy windows, and you know back.
1: Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, and I, 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 <laughs> it's Luke's an issue. It's really good uh, there that you know Hawaii does not have the strong building code like we have here in South Florida. So it's not going to take a direct hit from the core of a major hurricane to still cause uh, you know a lot of damage out there.
0: Yeah, with the wind, uh, landslides, storm surge, I mean, all the hazards uh, come with it. As a matter of fact, there have only been three hurricanes, and you really need to include one called Iwa in 1982. It didn't actually technically make landfall, but it went through the islands, so it, it made sort of landfall in the state, mm. even though the center of it didn't go over land. So it was four in the record book, and one of them is only recently added to the record book in 1871 because it was only reported in Hawaiian language uh, media. And it was recently uncovered Hmm. uh, as a storm that came over the northern part of the Big Island, just south of Maui, over Molokai, and did a tremendous amount of damage, according to the contemporaneous uh, reporting at the time. So anyway, four hurricanes directly affecting the Hawaiian Islands, in our knowledge, over the past uh, 150 or more years. So it's it's a very rare event to get a significant hurricane close to those islands
2: last one in nikki 1992 Iniki, yes. was that a cat
0: four that was a cat four that went directly over uh Kauai, and of course it came right after andrew sure so uh, it was uh, quite uh quite extraordinary in in um So here we are on uh, the 22nd of uh, August, and we've just passed the 20th of August. And, of course, the 20th of August was a day that I know Max remembers well from Bill Gray uh, ringing the bell on the 20th of August that this was the next two months were the real Core of the hurricane season, right, Max? Right.
1: He literally did that. He got a cowbell and went up and down the hallways there at Colorado State University, uh, ringing that bell to mark the beginning of the season.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, Bill was uh, quite a character and and quite uh, quite a man, really, in the in the hurricane business, and we miss him um, terribly. We've only had two hurricanes here in South Florida uh, prior to the twentieth of. Uh, August. One was in 1888, Category 3, that uh, estimated Category 3 right over Miami Beach that occurred just a few days before. And the other was a June hurricane in the kind of seminal year of of 1906 uh, that was the first of two hurricanes to come over downtown Miami. And it was the weaker of the two that happened in June of 1906. And that was, of course, 10 years, just 10 years after Miami became actually a city. So uh, 1906 was actually the, the year of the first hurricane in the history of Miami, and there were two. Wow. <laughs> so so it's kind of a, a crazy thing. All right, so uh, let's talk about Hurricane Andrew. Hurricane Andrew made landfall in South Dade uh, 26 years ago this week. Uh, during that uh, week max leading up to the storm, recon on the Thursday, in fact, 26 years ago today, or 26 years ago, yesterday, I guess the 21st. Um, let me see. The 20. Let me let me get my calendar right. The 24th was Monday, so the 22nd was Saturday. So the the uh, Thursday there would have been Third. the 20th. On the 20th, recon could not find a circulation. So technically speaking, uh, it should have actually been downgraded from at that point tropical storm Andrew. To just a tropical disturbance, but uh, right. so what was going uh, on at the National Hurricane Center well, when all that was that happening?
1: Well, too, that was and that was only four days before landfall, and again, technically, if you don't have a close circulation in the low levels, you don't have a circulation, you don't have a tropical cyclone, and and we actually debated when the plane first went out there at low levels, uh, they could not find the circulation. And Bob Sheets, being the uh, uh, smart man that he was, told the to plan to go up uh, a little bit higher, and they did, and they found some stronger winds. And he said, well, let's, uh, the, the worst thing you could do is drop something and then have it come right back. So he said, let's hold on to it for a little bit longer and see what happens. So uh, they did, and uh, then it, uh, you know, eventually did strengthen.
0: Yeah, so actually by the next day it was a pretty healthy tropical storm. But what would... Happen today in that situation? Would would they go to potential tropical cyclone Andrew? Uh,
1: they could do that. Uh, that the uh, now the rules allow them to do that. So it would be in fact you know now they they often even start something as a potential tropical cyclone. But once they get started, it I think it would be uh, actually we did this uh, last year. Uh, they, they did that the one time. They started writing advisory, they dropped it, and then they kept it as potential, And uh, so, yeah, they could, they would hang on to something, whether they. That was Harvey. Uh, Harvey or,
0: last yeah, year, Max. Hard. Remember? Oh, uh, right.
1: Okay, yeah. Okay, I knew here something. Yeah. And so yeah, they uh, at least they'll they'll keep the uh, attention focused on it, uh, whether it you know totally falls apart or is, is, uh, if they think it's going to come back, they'll keep talking about yeah, it. Yeah, the
0: advantage of potential tropical cyclone allows them to continue to put out a cone, continue to put out advisories, watches, warnings, and all that. Because if you can imagine, you have a system that of course we wouldn't know it while it was happening, but in the end, it's four days from making landfall as a category five. And it's called a potential tropical cyclone. It's a little hard to get your yeah. brain around that. As a broadcaster, Luke, what, how, you know, it, what do you what do you say? It's tough, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, as a somebody that's in the audience, trying to think, what's a potential tropical cyclone mean? You know, to try to break that down to the viewer mm-hmm. and explain, hey, this could be a threat. You know, that's that's just how you'd have. It to, actually
0: is a threat. Yeah, in fact, it's only four days, four days away, and then Friday, Max. Friday becomes a tropical storm. When What was the thinking at the Hurricane Center? What were you thinking that Friday when, you know, finally it was pretty clear that it was, it had a circulation, that it was uh, going to be some kind of a threat for somewhere?
1: Well, you know, let's not forget, too, that the, uh, uh, the Hurricane Center has international responsibilities. And so, you know, we were already uh, concerned uh, for the Bahamas, uh, you know, before we got to South Florida, you know, we're coordinating, the you know, Hurricane Center was coordinating with the Bahamas, and how many people remember Hurricane Lester? Not very many people, unless they live on Baja, California. We had a hurricane in the eastern Pacific that the Hurricane Center was writing advisories on. We had Hurricane warnings up, and it actually made landfall at 8 a.m. on August 23rd.
0: Really I don't so, I, I didn't remember I, that I don't know why my yeah, attention was not on the Pacific, but yeah. uh <laughs>
1: well mine wasn't either I, mean, I was I totally I was assigned to Andrew, but uh I'll never forget uh Ray Fagan from the Hurricane Center actually uh, started the advisories on that and uh yeah, that was a significant event uh for Mexico anyway, but you know at that time, even we were not thinking uh major hurricane uh you know that Friday. Uh, we certainly were not thinking major hurricane, and by the way, uh, it had been 27 years since the last major hurricane hit Miami. So we're talking about hard to get people's attention. Uh, you know, we hadn't had anything since Hurricane Betsy. Right. So, well, Hurricane David it was,
0: it was kind of kind of got everybody jazzed in in 1979, but happened. then it was yeah. nothing in in South Florida. It was you know something in the Bahamas. Uh, Nothing like Andrew, but it was something anyway. And it turned
1: north, uh, David turned northward there and uh, didn't really have any significant impact in South Florida at all. But the hurricane forecasters, you know, they were very much aware that, uh, you know, we had limitations in forecasting intensity. And we always talked about the possibility. In fact, one of the worst nightmares is having a weak system you know in that night before landfall even the last the day before landfall and you don't give people enough time to get prepared so uh you know that was in the back of my mind but on that friday we were really not thinking major hurricane yet
2: max when the you guys in the national hurricane center were putting together the forecast let's say that thursday that friday you know how much stock did the forecasters put in the models versus their own experience? Was that less maybe than today where we're pretty oh, heavily uh, modelled?
1: Yeah, focused? Luke, uh, one advantage of uh, being as old as I am, you remember uh, some of these early models, and there was tremendous scatter uh, in those track models, and we didn't have nearly as many as we had have today, and they certainly weren't as good. We had one very simple uh, climate persistence model. We had three extremely simplistic Trajectory models, uh, and then we had one kind of a statistical dynamical model that uh, it was called NHC90, and that was actually the best model we had in the preceding uh, year. So you know we had some confidence in that one, and then we had this new model. And it was called the uh, the aviation model. It was the aviation run of the uh, what was then the global model uh, produced by the National Weather Service but it had no track record, and it turns out that was the best model. Brian, you remember this one, mm-hmm. but, uh, uh, you know, at the time, we did not know uh, if that was going to be good or not.
2: And that's today's GFS, right? Or it would think, become right. today's GFS. So, that's, that's, uh, correct. Max, with the, the track, you, know, you talked about the uncertainty there, also with the intensity. One other one that came in, a factor that was perhaps uncertain, was the speed of motion, how quickly this storm – uh, could possibly track toward South Florida if it would ever make it to South Florida, uh, to the coastline. Could you uh, talk about how that came into play leading into the weekend?
1: Yeah, well, that was a, that was uh, you know besides the intensity, which, uh, you know the models uh, and the official forecast, you know certainly failed to uh, uh, forecast a you know a major hurricane or Category Five hurricane. Uh, but the speed was a huge uh, impact because that, we basically lost uh, you know a day or so of preparation there. Uh, I'll never forget uh, uh, Bob Sheets. Uh, he, uh, if he had one thing to take back uh, in his life, it would probably be the statement he made to emergency managers on, on that Friday afternoon uh, telling everybody, you know, we need to watch this, obviously, but have a nice weekend. We didn't think at the time it was going to be here. Uh, you know, uh, that quickly we lost at least a day. Or anywhere in the
0: state, really. Yeah. Or anywhere so. in the
1: state. And by the way, yeah. on that aviation model, uh, even though it verified better than anything, uh, I, I did go back and look at that, and it it it, uh, it was still not very consistent. It had the speed right. So one day it had it hitting, in fact, on the, uh, let me look here. On yeah, it had, the, had on it the, in Cuba. Yeah, uh, it had it in Cuba. Yeah, right. Right. And then a uh, day or two later it had it uh, going up towards Tampa. So it was flip flopping back and forth. Uh, but it certainly did pick up on that speed, which was a little hard for us to understand because those, uh, you know, those trajectory models uh, use, you know, data from that global model and, you know, using. Uh, uh, you know, mid level steering heights that uh, uh, it should have been able, they should have been more consistent, but, uh, but modeling was not as advanced as it is today.
0: What I was told when I wrote uh, my Hurricane Andrews story, the book uh, last year, was that they, in, you know, the way that they got that vortex tracker, the way they got the spaghetti plot for the AVN, was they actually injected a vortex into the uh, aviation model, today's GFS model fields. And and then they would just see how like, like throwing a, a block into the stream of air and they would see and they'd, they'd uh, mark where it went and that's how they got that track. And uh, the, actually the first time it was actually even demonstrated was during Hurricane Andrea, So it was extremely preliminary and the uh, As I recall this, Max, and maybe you you were there, but that didn't actually come out until the evening, sometime I think about 730 in the evening. Is that right? And, and then the oh, QLM then was, came after, right. after that, right. and this is the morning run. So this is the run from from 12Z or 8 a.m. really wasn't uh, visible to hurricane forecasts till the evening. So it was right. kind of after the fact.
1: Right, and, and this is really a, a huge Success story uh, for the American uh, taxpayer because you know we do have better observations from satellite, from radar, uh, from uh, you know the reconnaissance aircraft, and the, especially the surveillance data that goes in defining those steering currents and that gets in the models much faster. Uh, we actually the computers are faster; we get to look at those models much much faster. But yeah, Brian, very good point. In those days, there was a tremendous lag between when we actually got to see that. A global model, that aviation run of the
0: global model. So when, when they're making the 5 o'clock advisory in the afternoon, there is no output from the it. AVN. So when you go back and you look at all the spaghetti plots from back then now, you see them all on the map at the same time, and it, you say, well, okay, why didn't they look at the AVN? Well, they didn't have the AVN at the time that the 5 o'clock advisory had to be right. made, yep. and then by the time there was time to make the 11 o'clock advisory, the AVN was from the morning, Yeah. and, and plus had had no track record, so so it, it's quite amazing. And the other thing I was told, Max, I don't know if you know anything about this, was that the, the process of injecting the AVN uh, vortex or the, the storm vortex into the AVN affected the fields of the AVN in a way that it was detrimental to the NHC-90, that they found that out uh, much uh, after the fact.
1: Yeah, that that first year was, uh, you know, this is, uh, you know, definitely uh, experimental. And it was, uh, you know, we're glad of some success. But uh, that's a good, we basically faked it. We, you know, we, you force a uh, circulation, you force the vortex into the model. So, you know, some funny things happen if you don't do that right. And they, you know, the good news is they've continued to improve the way that's done. And actually, now they don't force it in. They actually, uh, I can readjust, yeah they but have the resolution supposed now. to be the resolution enough to right. handle that
0: yeah. mm-hmm.
2: so it's five a m Saturday morning. Uh, this turned out to be exactly two days before Hurricane Andrew would make landfall in South Dade. Uh, it finally reached hurricane strength. So this is again, five a m. Saturday morning. winds are seventy five miles per hour. What are you the specialists at the National Hurricane Center? What are you thinking at this point, Max?
1: Well, we're you know the fact that, that certainly, uh, ratchets everything up there when it becomes a hurricane and so again we were thinking about the Bahamas uh obviously before we thought about South Florida but uh you know in the back of our minds there we also I have to remember that we only gave a three day forecast and back in those days yeah. the the average forecast there is over hundred miles uh, per day. Uh you know, it's much, 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 much better than that now. Uh, but the three day point was going to be was already somewhere near us and so we were obviously concerned but uh, you know, we also knew those, the uncertainty we knew it could have been uh, you know 300 miles uh, north of us or 300 miles south of us That was just, we had a lot more uncertainty back in those days
2: but it's starting to switch from Friday of uh, have a nice weekend to hey we could have a, a landfalling hurricane somewhere in our vicinity is that right?
1: Right, but we were not still not thinking major hurricane uh, uh, yet, uh, at least on that 5 a.m. advisory.
0: Right, and then early on, on Saturday, uh, the hurricane watch went up, and then Saturday afternoon, a hurricane warning went up, and it was all the way from Titusville, which is just north of Cape Canaveral, all the way to, through the Keys. So it's that right. was just right. reflective, really, of the uncertainty in hurricane forecasting at that time, right? And this is only two days out, as it turned out. Thinking was back then it was probably more like two and a half days out at that point, I guess.
1: Yeah, right. Now, in fact, that uh, the the simplest model we had, the climatology and persistence model, it actually turned in northward. So right, they uh, and the majority of the models were, you know, kind of between uh, Clipper and the aviation model, and the official forecast was was near that midpoint there. Although we kind of leaned a little bit closer to the aviation model.
0: Well, that uh, initial forecast. It's interesting, uh, Max. I know you've heard this for. Now a quarter of a century that oh it was forecast to go to the Dade Broward line, and then it ended up going to the uh, to South Dade obviously. But if you go back and look at the actual tracks, there are no tracks that go to the Dade Broward line. Uh, early on Saturday and through much of Saturday, it was more like Palm Beach County, and then then the uh, talking about the center of the track, the, the dots from the National Hurricane Center, uh, and then. By Saturday night it shifted to South Date and the forecast was really very good for that last twenty four to thirty hours.
1: Yeah, yeah, even that even Friday evening, I mean the models uh, the only model that I had it actually over Florida was the aviation run. All the others were uh, one was in the northwest Bahamas, but all the other models were north, either north northeast of the Bahamas or Uh, well north uh you know headed towards bermuda almost
2: max i know many of you are probably not all of you but a lot of you working at the national hurricane center you lived in dade county um what are you thinking at this point like what what are you and your families talking about um what did you do with your families at this point
1: well my saturday uh you know we uh well, actually, I think Friday night and Saturday, people started thinking about what they were going to do. And uh, back in those days, we tried to give people at least uh, 12 hours' worth of daylight to make the preparations. And the warnings uh, typically went up 24 hours in advance. Uh, so it, it, things really got into motion, I think, that uh, that weekend. But we really had to, the truth is, we had to stay focused at the Hurricane Center Again, we had a hurricane in the Pacific uh, making landfall. We were forecasting uh, Andrew and, and about half the staff from the National Hurricane Center and the local Miami Forecast Office lived in the southern part of Dade County. So, uh, you know, we knew it was going to impact uh, us as well at, at some point there. And, uh I think the uh, one thing that we also uh, learned, uh, a lesson learned back in those days, we had a backup plan, uh, but the backup plan was uh, really flawed. The backup plan, we sent five people to Washington, D.C., to the National Medical Center, uh, and that really left us short-staffed in Miami. I mean, the (laughs) folks that were left in Miami, you know, we worked some pretty long days here. and. And uh, slept at the hurricane center and and Bob Sheets. Uh, uh and Brian, you know how uh he was during all this, and just so everybody knows, he had only a couple hours sleep and uh, two days, uh, you know, near the time of Andrew's landfall in Florida. But then we, you know, as it's making landfall in Florida. You know, we're still forecasting it to be a hurricane, in fact, a major hurricane by that time in the Gulf of Mexico. We were putting up watches and warnings on Saturday, well, that, uh, that Monday, the day that it hit us. We had put up, uh, we eventually put up hurricane Morning for portions of Mississippi and Louisiana.
0: And the concern uh, was New Orleans.
1: I remember, I remember people
0: huge concern. For yes, New Orleans. people yeah. were crazed over. Oh my God, look what's happened in Miami, and now New Orleans is going to be next. I mean, it's you know this kind of fatalistic kind of thinking. I'm Correct. thinking for Correct.
2: the for the listener right now. You know. Max, I mean, you're a hurricane specialist. You work for, you know, you're a director for the National Hurricane Center for quite a spell. And you've got a hurricane heading your way. What did you do with your family? Did you guys bring them into the hurricane center with you?
1: Uh, a lot of people did. Uh, I thought my house was uh, well built enough that uh, my wife and three children uh, stayed here in the house. And also the deputy director at the time, Jared Gerald, he was one of the guys that we sent up to Washington for the backup plan so jerry's wife mother-in-law and his uh, son his intimate son stayed with us so we had a house full of people and uh you know my the, the good news is uh you know we were in the northern eye wall, but we were in the outer edge of that northern eye wall, which was not nearly as bad as the innermost edge uh, of the eye wall. so you know my shutters worked fine but uh, i lost all the all the towels and even the tar paper on the east side of my house. Uh, But I I can't uh, even begin to complain compared to what happened to folks farther south.
0: Yeah, it was amazing that the extreme gradient driving south, uh, the uh, tremendous change in the amount of damage, because of these narrow bands or cells that rotated around the eye and all that analysis uh, afterward. Mac, just to, I wanted to clear it up because I said that the watches uh, and mornings went up on Saturday, but the, the hurricane watch, and I was talking about the Bahamas, but that's a little confusing. So the hurricane watch for South Florida, as I recall, went up 5 p.m. on Saturday afternoon. Is that what, is that what you recall?
1: Uh, you know what? Let me, uh, let me see if I can find that here. I thought it was, uh, or in fact, I'm sure, I'm pretty sure it was 8 a.m. because Hal, I remember Dr. Hal, the the
0: watch I'm talking about now, not the warning. The, warning, oh, went the, up, yes, the warning went up. Yes, the warning went up. Yes, the warning went up Sunday morning at. Uh, you're right, eight, the 8 a.m. because there was the whole question of why isn't it up at five? And when they ordered the evacuation right. before the warning, and all that happened on Sunday. Yeah, but Saturday. I just wanted to be sure that we were right. I'm pretty sure it was 5 p.m. on uh, on Saturday afternoon that the watch was expanded to South Florida.
1: Okay, I can't see that uh, in front of me here, but uh, I'll keep looking for it here. You guys' is memory. Uh, oh, okay, 5 p.m. Saturday, Hurricane Center. Uh, uh, this is from Bob Sheets' book here. Hurricane Watch was posted from Titusville down to Key West. Right. So, yeah, you're right. 5 p.m. on Saturday was the watch. Right, the because warning, because it, it went up at 11
0: a.m. P.m. in the Bahamas, I remember. So, uh, that Saturday, yep. when I went on TV just after 11 a.m., we already had the Hurricane Watch for the Bahamas. But we didn't have any sense that Saturday afternoon that this was for sure a, you know, Miami storm. Um, it, it could have just oh, as no. easily yeah. have been a Palm Beach storm. You know, I mean, we weren't surprised in, in a sense that it was Miami, but, but in the end, or, or South Dade. But uh, it really, by Saturday, on Saturday, it could have been anywhere in the southern part of the peninsula. Yeah, that's absolutely right.
2: So Saturday, it's still a Category 1 hurricane for most of the day?
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, until yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, it's getting stronger. So, so by late Saturday night, by the 11 o'clock advisory Saturday night, so on the news, uh, we went sort of indefinitely on the news that night, and it got to be after 1 a.m., and, you know, I'd been on TV since before noon, uh, so it had, you know, it was already long, and I, w- I went to the producer. I said, We got to stop this because tomorrow's the day. It's not today because we could talk all night about this, but we don't have the people here mm-hmm. <laughs> to talk all night. So I said on TV that night, I said, uh, Friends, I'm going to go home and go to bed. And I suggest you do too because tomorrow is going to be one of the biggest days ever in the history of our city. And we may not go to bed tomorrow night. So. So and how that, true that was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's the way it worked, you know. I mean, I didn't know that that was what was going to happen, but I just thought it was just sensible that, that that night it was it was the night to sleep because you know, when these big well, this was a small strong hurricane, when strong hurricanes are coming, the weather before them is usually very good. And so the way the timing on Andrew worked out with the storm arriving overnight uh, Sunday night early Monday morning the weather all day Sunday was perfect it was relatively dry the humidity was low it was bright sunshine so there was nothing to keep people from from preparing that Sunday so we had the entire day on Sunday to prepare what was right,
1: and I remember uh, talking about that morning I remember Hal Garris uh, did call uh, Bob sheets at home at four a.m uh, to discuss the possibility of uh, you know, upgrading the WhatsApp warning here in Florida. And uh, they talked over Bob decided to wait until uh, he got in at uh, uh, 8 o'clock so he could talk to the emergency managers and at least give them a heads up of uh, what they were going to do. And so even though, you know, today we would do that sooner, but in those days, you know, we tried to give uh, uh, 24 hours and tw- 12 hours of daylight is what we were really trying to give people.
2: So I have to imagine on Saturday, you still, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's this massive watch. Uh, people are probably not taking it quite as seriously as they did on Sunday. I Well, bet they're by just
0: s- learning about it. On, sure. Most people just on Saturday started to hear about it. And a lot of them didn't hear about it till Saturday night. Because remember, you didn't have people didn't have their cell phones on them all day. And people recreated a lot, I think recreated more than they do now. Uh, and, and so people just weren't tied to the to, tie to their phone, tied to information uh, throughout the day. So people that were out and about didn't find out about it till they turned on the news that night or, you know, their neighbor told them or something.
2: So Saturday night and Sunday, we go into full hurricane mode. What's that like for you, Brian, and, and Max, too?
0: Well, for me, I went into the TV station, so I got home um about uh two o'clock uh in, at the, my h- house in coconut grove and i kinda got things a little organized and in the meantime i had gotten a hold of some friends and said uh i'm going to need some help here putting up shutters and you're going to need a place to stay because you live in an evacuation zone so I made a deal that they would uh, come over and and uh, i'd show them where the shutters are and and i got up in the morning at six o'clock and and uh Dealt with the shutters and whatnot at the house and took off for the station and got there at uh, eight o'clock. And, and Max, you mentioned Bob Sheets. And uh, there's just you cannot say too much about uh, what Bob uh, did and his leadership, uh, both at the National Hurricane Center and in the community uh, during that uh, event. It was really a tour de force uh, by him and, and by the entire Hurricane Center staff what was what was the Sunday like for uh, for you guys down there
1: it's pretty intense and again we're not uh, to tell you the truth I you know thought I had done everything or my family had done everything uh, they could to get ready here at home and you know we had to stay uh, focused on uh, on the hurricane but you, I, mean, I really don't remember worrying about them at the time. I mean, I was just you're just totally consumed by what uh, is going on there, and, and I think everybody was like that. And yeah, Bob was just unbelievable. I I could not have gone as many days as he did without sleep. And you know, I talked about it, he got like two hours in that two day period, uh, when, one day before and day after Andrew, and then he went home and for about four hours, and he and he had tremendous damage at his own house. In fact, you know, half the staff had. Significant damage to their homes, uh, uh, the homes from the hurricane center, and then he he stayed up another two days or so, with uh, with four hours of sleep. So I just don't know how he did that in about a six day period there.
0: Yeah, it was it was unbelievable, and I I actually didn't see him until uh, we went up in the helicopter on uh, Wednesday, and he was still going strong, and and we actually went and found his house uh, down in in what today is. Is uh, is that Palmetto Bay or Pinecrest? Anyway, we um, we hunted you know, up his house uh, there east of of US one in South Dade, but but it took us a good while because we couldn't recognize what we were seeing from the air. The only real right.
1: I, I remember that now. You all in the helicopter, and I. And by the way, he had not just his house; but he, he had a son and a daughter who lived exactly. south of him, and it went through the eyeball, the inner core of the eye, so. Yeah, he was, and we could not, you know, contact uh, our families for a long time.
0: Yeah, it was, um, it was something. But that Sunday, the Sunday, I think for, for me at the television station, for for the team at the television station, for team here at, at uh, Channel Ten, I mean, it was everybody going a hundred and fifty percent all day. But you know, the thing was, as Max said. Uh, you know, we didn't we didn't know where the storm was going. We just knew that there was this threat. So the difference between now and then. Back then, we really did respond to the threat. We didn't have any confidence in the forecast. So we responded to the threat. Now, people kind of think they know where the storm is going, right? Mm. <laughs> Much more so. And so people more respond to the forecast now, which is actually not good. That's not a good transition. What you really want people to do is respond to the threat. You want them to respond to the risk. And and so, uh, interestingly, by the time Sunday evening came around, the streets here were empty. There was nobody running around, scurrying around at 9 o'clock. I-95 was empty. Uh, There was a car here and there. People had done what they thought they needed to do. Now, in the end... As as Max said, you realize, oh my God, I, uh, there were many things I could have done, but but it had been twenty-seven years since a hurricane, and and but but people felt like they were ready by that evening, and it you know it didn't happen until overnight.
2: Ready for what? Because at this point, so far, it's been there's a threat of a hurricane, but it's been a, a Category One so far. People, I I assume wouldn't take that as a an immediate life-and-death type well, now of we're threat. Sunday, though. So Sunday well, we get in, has this... What What are we dealing with on Sunday? What do people know well, then? let
1: me t- I'll tell you the advisory that I wrote that Sunday morning. I In fact, I remember this uh, extremely well because uh, Kate Hale, the Emergency Management Director for Miami-Dade County, actually came... The EOC was located very close to the Hurricane Center, uh, which is near the University of Miami and Coral Gables at uh, the time there. Anyway, Kate came in... Uh, to the hurricane center and knew what we we're going to do in that 11 a.m. advisory. And uh, the headline that I put in the advisory is uh, dangerous category four hurricane Andrew heading for South Florida, all preparations uh, mm. to protect life and property, including evacuations, should be rushed to completion. And Kate uh, literally yelled uh, at us and said, do you realize what a category four hurricane does to my evacuation plan? And, you know, We didn't uh, have much response to that. We were just telling it uh, like it is. Uh, But, uh, yeah, that had huge impact as far as the number of people that uh, uh, were being told to evacuate.
0: That Sunday afternoon as a Category 4, and today the thinking is that the, the winds were 170 miles an hour. At that time, they were analyzed to be about 150 miles per hour, I think it was, Max, when it hit Eleuthera in the Bahamas. So that's on the east side of the Bahamas. Now, at that time, we didn't have any coverage out of Eleuthera. Uh, we didn't have any connection with Eleuthera, actually. We couldn't find out what actually happened in Eleuthera because we could tell that the, by the satellite picture that the eye went directly over the northern end of Eleuthera, so we knew th- that they got mauled there. But also, I've been to Eleuthera, and I know that there's high ground there, so I wasn't too terribly worried about the people. You know, because it's not that many people and they do have high ground. they're very hurricane savvy in the Bahamas., uh, but we knew there was this incredible hurricane uh, coming in our direction. Uh, and you know the the tremendous dread was that you know, might this thing come over downtown Miami and change the change the city and just just really, uh destroy the the port of miami the banking center the airport the coral gables uh you know the the history and the fabric of the place of uh, south beach uh which was just beginning to be resurrected in 1992 so that was you know that was in uh, it was in my mind i'm sure it was in the mind of many people but we didn't have any confidence that we knew mm-hmm. so you know it was one of those things of don't worry about the things you can't you don't really have enough information to to worry about, worry about what you can do right now, so that was really the approach that I took through the day on Sunday, and I assume max that's the approach that that uh, you guys took as well uh, you, you were so busy yeah. that you're doing doing what needs to be done at the moment
1: right, I remember when the eyeball went over in Luther in the Bahamas, I mean we knew you know so shallow and that West-facing side of the island there that uh, uh, they had. In fact, it turned out they had 16, 20 feet of storm surge on the northern part of the Lutha there, uh, and uh, so yeah, we we're worried about all the hazards. But you know, certainly the storm surges. Uh, that we'll talk more about that later, hopefully. But uh, and the wind. The, <laughs> the wind uh, certainly got our attention, but we we're also really worried about the storm surge.
0: Max, uh, so so this obviously. A lot of things happened in the, in the interim. The storm began to weaken. That hit the, the Gulf Stream And in terms of its high wall replacement cycle. It came back in this incredible hurricane, obviously, hits the South Day, goes right over Homestead. What was going on at the National Hurricane Center while uh, in those overnight hours of Sunday night, Monday morning, uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> as, as the building was shaking there?
1: I, actually, I remember an interview with a local 10 with Ann Bishop. I had uh, uh, I had gotten off uh, the shift about midnight on Sunday, uh, but I hung around. Actually, I gave Bob Sheets a little break, let him have a, a short break anyway, and I did a few of the media hits, including this one with Ann Bishop. And at that time, it actually had, they, based on the aircraft data, uh, the Air Force did a superb job of staying in there as much as they could, and it, the, the pressure had uh, actually risen. Uh, the winds had come down. So for a brief period, it, it, that eyewall replacement cycle, that innermost eye eyewall was collapsing. Right. Uh, you know, it looked like it was weakening, which was a good thing. It was still a major hurricane. I mean, it was still going to be, you know, one that caused a lot of damage. Uh, but then, the the you know, the, one of the worst nightmares uh, is it went across the Gulf Stream and just before those six hours before landfall, that uh, outermost eye wall contracted and uh, intensification, rapid intensification happened again. And, uh, you know, it came, well, actually it was upgraded to a Category 5, but we didn't really do that until 10 years after the fact. That's another story.
0: Yes, yes, it is. You know, I think it was— Ed Rappaport that wrote the advisory that I remember in the in the discussion, um, and I, I may be wrong, but but it, an observation was made during that weakening stage that that the Gulf Stream was ahead, and that provided this uncertainty about the intensity, and my reaction to that broadcasting and watching the radar, where we could see it happening on radar, you could see that the eyewall was disrupted, that it was not this solid donut that that you would expect in an ultra-intense hurricane. My reaction was that I wasn't going to talk about the weakening, that mm. the aircraft was saying that the pressure was up, I think, to 937, uh, and and the winds were down to like 135 at that point, still a hellacious hurricane. But I didn't want anybody to be at anything but the highest level of, of Preparedness, and I just you know nobody was experienced with these things. I just thought, after all we've said about how terrible this is going to be, uh, let's not take our foot off the the accelerator. You know, based on this and that observation about the the uh, Gulf Stream being ahead, and also there was already some talk at that time about the the issue of the winds being deflected inward. as the hurricane approaches the coast, like landfall. Yeah, yeah, right at landfall, because you get the increased friction with the land, which has a tendency to want to turn the winds to the left, which actually can can, in and of itself, cause a little bit of uh, intensification. Was the theory? It was just an early discussion of that theory at the time.
1: Hmm. Right, of course, they don't all do that. They, they don't all do that. Them, right, uh, well, right. we can uh, as they move over land, but. Uh, yeah, we still don't know. Uh, and there, there's, I mean, even today, there will always be uncertainty, uh, not just in forecasting the intensity of the hurricane, but even in estimating that initial intensity. Uh, we've got aircraft, we've got a lot more sophisticated uh, observing uh, systems than we had back then. But there's still some uncertainty. and I think the Hurricane Center probably say they're still if they're within 10% of the actual maximum sustained winds, you know, they're happy.
0: Yeah, they're they're very happy. All right. So uh, anyway, Max, I wanted you to be able to finish your story about uh, what was going on at the National Hurricane Center uh, through the storm. You had all these families in there, um, you know, trying to because they didn't feel safe at home and they felt safe in that building, which was had its hurricane shutters. Uh, Closed up, you were buttoned up, and then what happened?
1: Well, uh, I remember uh, w- what I did. I mean, everybody is, you know, nobody's complaining about being tired or anything. I uh, i guess I kind of went down. I, uh, somewhere around 2 or 3 o'clock, I went back and uh, uh, found a place out near where the ham radio guys were set up, or uh, uh an office where i could uh, take the sleeping bag in i was going to rest a little bit and i laid down about five minutes later one of the windows blew in Yikes. uh in the in the room right next to behind me, the shutter right next to me behind the shutters correct and i'm thinking that's not supposed to happen so i kind of gave up on taking a nap and uh, just went back out there and and uh, stayed there uh, with bob sheets there during the night uh he uh Uh, again, was just unflappable. He was just amazing uh, that he could keep going as long as he could here. But uh, uh, everybody—well, actually, I had somebody that—well, this was probably right after landfall. I had somebody try to call my uh, wife and see how things were—how the family was doing and the house did. Uh, and we couldn't, uh, you know, the telephone lines were down, the power was out. Um, um, a lot of people uh, could not get any uh, reports. We couldn't really hear what was happening.
0: And and so you had a generator good. go out, right? The one of the the generator that provided the air conditioning for the building well, went out as I recall. A,
1: actually, the, I went back and uh, read Bob's book on that, and it, it appears that our backup generator. In fact, I'm sure the backup generator continued to work but the air conditioning units were on top of the roof with the radars and uh they were damaged so the you know the, air, the bottom line the air conditioning went out and it got unbelievably hot uh, inside the uh, the center there and that you know computers don't do well when they're getting hot but we never did have to invoke the backup uh, team we kept limping along and and, uh, oh, the water system was inoperable too. We couldn't even flush the toilets. And we, some of the media people were good enough. They went over to a little pond there at the University of Miami and uh, brought back some buckets of water to flush the toilets even. So, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a tremendous team effort, uh, you know, throughout. But, uh, uh, you know, we knew we had to fill, uh, as it's moving over us, we had to make sure we did uh, the best job we could as it headed toward Louisiana.
2: Max, you mentioned the radar, and you guys lost that in the course of the storm. Can you tell me about? You know, I, I can't imagine the noise on that bad boy. You know, that thing's huge, making yeah, the noise well, on the. Was,
1: yeah, right. Bob was, uh, you know, sitting in front of the big monitor that we had in those days, uh, and you know, he was using the radar primarily as a backdrop, and we heard this big boom, and uh, and and we knew what it was. The, uh, uh, the The radar went out, and the 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 dome on around the radar had blown off the pedestal and, and uh, in fact, uh, pieces that were found uh, in the swimming pool over at uh, the Hall of the Inn next door to the Hurricane Center at that time. And so, yeah, we were without radar, but we did have a backup. We had, uh, you know, a backup. We got the Palm Beach radar, mm. uh, and we also, even though the sat- we had these two huge satellite dishes uh, in back of the building, they were shredded. So no satellite from our, uh, you know, direct dishes there, but we had a backup plan in place for that to come down a landline from uh, Washington D.C. and that that worked. A little delay, but that worked fine because, you know, we had to keep going uh, with without air conditioning, and we finally got some portable air conditioning units in uh, after a day or so, and that you know that helped uh, tremendously.
0: Max, we're we're running short on time, but uh, uh, I wanted to talk about what your impressions were. On uh, Monday morning, or when you finally, or when did you finally uh, get out of the Hurricane Center, and when were you able to go home, and and you know what did you, what were you, what do you uh, think well, when I, you saw it?
1: I could not uh, get hold of uh, my family, and I, I I had somebody calling repeatedly, uh, and they just never could get through. So finally, I had uh, oh I remember now the uh, uh, Vivian George, uh, administrative officer at the Hurricane Center. Uh, I had one of those big portable, uh, uh, big uh, car phones back in those days, and she was driving around uh, my neighborhood and called, and, and I said, "Well, how's my family?" And she said, "Oh, they're outside. They look." Like they're "Fine." I said, "How's the house?" And she said, "Well, house doesn't look too bad." And I said, "How about trees?" And she said, "What trees?"
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: so I knew I had a had a problem there. And then I finally got home. I wanted to get home before dark that night because the you know stoplights, street stop signs are down and uh you know, the, there was debris all over the roads. And I, so I came home just at uh, sunset. And just like a lot of people, I had no real idea where I was. And even, you know, I'm driving under and around uh, down power lines. And, and I finally got uh, somewhere close to my neighbor. I saw some neighbors walking And I just said, where am I? <laughs> and they told me, you're a block away from your home. And I, oh. I just didn't probably uh, recognize it. The first thing I got home, and you know, made sure the camera was okay. And I... I didn't have any shingles or tar paper on the east side of my house, so I told my kids to go get a ladder. I wanted to get up on the roof and see how bad it was. And and, uh, one of my kids just laughed and said, Dad, you don't need a ladder, and uh, follow us. And they took me around back, and I had a neighbor that had a giant machopia tree that had fallen down uh, on my house, and we just walked up the trunk of the tree and got up on the roof that way.
0: Wow. All right, Max, just uh, real quickly, you mentioned storm surge. I didn't want to uh, leave without talking about that because we don't talk about the storm surge in Hurricane Andrew, but it was uh, stunning in South Dade, both in, in its height and in the fact that it hit in a place that the maximum hit in a place where nobody lived.
1: That was a lesson not learned in Andrew because Andrew is so small, you know, unbelievably small in size. Even though it's a Category 5 intensity-wise, the size is extremely small, and that limited the aerial extent of the storm surge. So uh, I remember looking uh, with Brian Jarman and uh, the Deering Estate. They trying to find the storm surge uh, mark, and we couldn't find any. Well, the, uh, you look inside the building, you see, to find the still water level, and we couldn't see anything. And the reason we couldn't see anything, it was just when the windows blew in, uh, it been sandblasted the, ends of the wall, so they were clean as a whistle. But he finally opened the door underneath the stair, uh, the stairs there, and and he said, "Found it." You're right. <laughs> and we walked in there, and it was a beautiful mark. And it actually was 16.7 feet there, 16.9 feet down at the Burger King International headquarters. But yeah, you're right. It did not cross over except for a couple of small areas. Old Cutler, Old Cutler is a ridge line, and so. We were very, very fortunate that it was not uh, a larger storm surge than we
0: had. Yeah, all kinds of things happen, Andrew, that we don't really talk about. That being one of them, uh, the the damage on Brickell Avenue was uh, really quite tremendous. In the hundreds uh, or thousands of apartments that were blown out, but because of the incredible events in South Dade, just the this this moonscape of damage in South Dade, we you know we don't really acknowledge those uh, the folks that went through that in a variety of other ways max uh, thanks so much and uh we'll see you here at the office so uh okay (laughs) we'll we'll see you soon and and uh thanks again Um, okay
2: thank you all see you max
0: max uh you know max and i go way way uh, back but really to about the time of hurricane Andrew, mm-hmm. it was you know that was a very cementing event for many people in in south florida that uh, you came you come to know people really well when you go through something you does not have to be that extreme but when you go through an extreme event with, with somebody
2: i can only imagine uh the very producer of the show jeff tavs he was telling me we, we did a a hurricane special where he went down and covered Hurricane Irma mm-hmm. earlier this year, and we got on the subject of Andrew. And he goes, you know, the hurricane was bad. He went mm-hmm. through Hurricane Andrew, but he goes, it's the weeks and months after that are just hell. Where you and you talk about that in your book significantly, where um, you know people didn't have. You know, a roof? They they didn't have a roof there, you know, for the first week before the military uh, took hold. Where the hell is the cavalry? That right. famous line before they finally got in and, uh, and that was stopped Thursday. the looters. So yeah. that was
0: Thursday after a Monday storm, mm-hmm. and they and the cavalry didn't come until Saturday, and they really didn't have control until Sunday, and that just began the process of actually having stability. That didn't put roofs on anybody's house. That. That began after that. It was really uh, for me, and I was very lucky because I lived in Coconut Grove, and uh, you know, damage was minimal. Power came back on on Friday, and and I was and I was fine. But for two years, that was all I did was Hurricane Andrew, and for and there are people that lived in the Hurricane Andrew environment for up to five years, really, because they couldn't get their house repaired.
2: Earlier we talked a bit about, we asked Max, of how much did you rely on experience versus the models. Mm-hmm. I think today, even still, we, we put so much um, faith in our technology that we're kind of lulled into a sense of security where something like this is still a threat today, these late-blooming, near shore developing storms that can turn into ultra-intense, like Andrew, small but incredibly ultra-powerful
0: storms, that kind of scenario could still play out, could it not? If Andrew happened again, it would be a a, a nightmare. In fact, the two, two of the three strongest storms ever in the United States, which the three being 1935 in the Keys, Camille and Andrew, two of the three developed in the last day and a half before landfall. So it's a it's a stunning reminder that these things do happen. They don't all happen like Hurricane Irma.
2: And when they're small, they're new, they're weak, it's mm-hmm. difficult for you to get much confidence and, in the forecast. And to get your
0: mind around the possibilities. It's sure. just it's very hard to communicate. All right, uh, we gotta we got to wrap up here. A reminder of this podcast sponsored by your neighbors at the Miccosukee Tribe. Rain or shine, win big. Visit Miccosukee.com and discover the winner in you. I, uh, I did want to mention, just, just for completeness—we always try and be complete here—that on August 24th, it's actually 101 years before Hurricane Andrew, another hurricane hit in the same place as Hurricane Andrew hit, and it was actually called the Martinique Hurricane because a lot of people died in Martinique from that same storm, and there was no homestead at the time, Homestead was not homesteaded until 1898. That's mm. when people first went down to settle, In South Dade was 1898. So this is, this is uh, seven years before that. But it is indeed in the record book as, a, as actually hitting Homestead 101 years before, to the day. How do we— That's Hurricane Andrew. I have to ask, how do we know? So this is part of the, the uh, Hurricane Reanalysis Project. We were talking to Chris Lancey who works at the National Hurricane Center and has been the leader of that uh, project for some years to look at ship data. They know what happened in the Bahamas. They know where it went because, well, they know what happened in the Gulf, and they kind of piece it together and get the timing and the estimates based on peripheral observations. Mm -hmm. But uh, there is significant uncertainty, obviously, since there weren't even humans living in that area at all, uh, at all. It was not uh, at all uh, settled. So if you want, if you have any questions, by the way, you'd like us to talk about here on the podcast, you can write to weatherpod at WPLG.com. And just one more reminder to check out com. rain or shine, win big, and uh, visit com and discover the winner in you. So Luke, good to have you back. I hope uh, you had a good two weeks off. You got oh. your Marion done and you got your honeymoon and done. and, <laughs> I and so. congratulations. We're really happy for
2: you. Thank you so much. Yeah, we actually spent part of the honeymoon in Key West. It was uh, awesome.
0: It, was, it is an awesome place. <laughs> so that's our podcast for this week. Uh, we'll be back again the next week and we're going to talk about the uh, we talk about Hurricane Katrina next week and with a voice that you will all know. So until then, I'm Brian Norcross for Luke Doris here in the podcast studio, Local 10 in Miami. Have a good week.